Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. What a beautiful day. Isn't this? These fall days are fantastic. You know what the biggest problem I have, other than having to be in the studio? And, you know, I don't. I love being in the studio. I, I should never say that because I love sharing the outdoors with all you people that listen. It means a lot to me. The biggest issue I have this time of the year, though, is both personally and on the show, is what do we talk about? What do we have? What do we cover on the show? And what do I want to do when I go out after the show or the next few days? Because it's just a tremendous, tremendous time of the year when when there's so much going on in Colorado. And we're going to cover a lot of it. We're going to cover um, we're going to cover some fishing. We're going to cover some hunting. We're going to cover some special events and things that are going on with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So we got a lot going on. And hey, you know, if you want to keep track when there's special events and stuff coming up on the show, go to. Uh, just go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I'll tell you more about it later in the show, but there's a link to my Denver Post articles. My most recent one is on duck hunting in North Park area. That just uh, hit both the print and the online version yesterday. Um, you can go back to past articles. We put uh, our YouTube channel up there so you can see some of our shows. Karen puts a new a different show, a new show. Where I, I, there are legacy shows, but she adds another one to the YouTube channel every couple of weeks. So a lot going on in Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on, on Facebook. So you should follow us there. Let's go right to the phones now, though. And uh, joining us, he's a very accomplished tournament bass angler. Um, he's placed higher well if we go through his resume of tournament finishes we won't have any time to talk to him just take it my word for it he does really well you see him at the international sportsman's exposition on the demo tank and what i love about him is the time he gives to the youth fishermen in colorado and that's sam heckman good morning sam Morning, Terry. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And, you know, we've been getting reports. There's kind of a transition time going on. Mountains are transitioning a little quicker, a little different than down here on the Front Range. We've had some warm weather. But we're starting to get that change in fishing. And we're going to get into some really good fall fishing. And I know you spend some time down uh, Pueblo and the southeastern part of the state. So I thought we'd kind of touch base with you and uh, maybe get an update on what's going on. First, what's the water level at Pueblo like? Well, you know, the, it's dropping still. Uh, you know, the, it's an irrigation lake, so they're taking water out of there, and they'll stop. They'll take water all the way till November 15th. So, and that's that's the thing that's going on right now. They're still taking water, and, you know, they're with the southern delivery system going to the springs and with the irrigation with Bessemer Ditch open, which is still wide open as of yesterday, the, the water's still dropping pretty good. Well, and if they're bringing water, but they started the year fairly high. And this isn't going to be, I don't think, a drastically low year. I just think it's going to be a normal dropping. Is that what you think? Yeah, you know, it's um, you know, we we're fortunate to have you know a, quite a, a this year started really good where water was uh, coming over the dam on the high wind days, so uh, it hasn't gotten down to levels like we've seen it. Unlike you know some of the stuff they're seeing on the western slope, which is tragic right now. Oh, it really is. And if we don't get uh, an excellent snowpack in a colder winter this winter. A lot of reservoirs. You know that's true of a lot of reservoirs. The Southwest really is suffering, but a lot of the one other reservoirs are kind of in their normal state. They've been higher than that the last couple of years. That's why they had so much water going in. 
But if we don't get a substantial snowpack during this next year, I think a lot of reservoirs could be in trouble. So hopefully that's going to be the case. We'll just have to wait wait and see. Before we even get to the reservoir itself, if they're drawing that much water out, a lot of times that means there can be some significant fishing in the spillway below the reservoir. Do you Have you checked that at all? Well, I know they're catching some, uh, you know, a buddy of mine, he uh, fishes the river quite often for big trout. And, you know, the Arkansas River below the Pueblo Dam is one of probably the one of the most underfished fisheries there is as far as big, big trout, you know, and uh, they catch some good walleyes underneath there. And there's a, a few good smallies that they catch in there. And normally what we do is we go when they shut the water off for filling, we go down and all those fish will congregate in the pools and we'll catch some smallies and some walleyes in those pools after the the dams get shut off there and the, the river goes down. I uh, caught a 20-pound catfish in that river. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. There's some big ones in there. I was jigging for smallmouth bass. I fished it with both a fly rod and a conventional spinning rod. I had an 8-pound test on a, uh, a little 3-inch grub. That was a trick, a, tri- a trip, I'll tell you. But let's talk about Pueblo, the lake itself. Sam, uh, what do you see in there? I know the we get in a little later in the fall, the shad are going to school up. There'll be a spoon bite. What's going on right now? Well, right now they're starting to, they're, the shad spawn, the, I mean, the shad schools are starting to, to really get uh, congregated. And uh, you're seeing them anywhere from the inch and a half. They've had a couple uh, spawns. So you're seeing them anywhere from an inch and a half to three inch starting to really school up and the the, the fish are really starting to chase them all around. There's some wipers chasing them. There's lots of smallies and, you know, spotted and largemouth bass chasing them. And, you know, and, and another thing is, is they're, uh, you know, they're still really shallow feeding. Uh, once they're dropping that water, those crawdads got to come out and they're feeding on those crawdads pretty good. So you can catch a smallie or, uh, you know, a big largemouth, throw him up on the boat and, He'll upchuck a crawdad and a bunch of shad at the same time. So they're feeding pretty good, and that fall bite, is, you're right, Terry, as soon as that water temperature gets down a little bit more, um, that fall bite's going to start, and it's going to be phenomenal. Right, and, you know, usually I, you know, usually by now the water's colder than it is, too, because even we've had, we have longer, a shorter daylight period, longer nighttime period. The sun hasn't got the same intense angle this time of the year, and so even when we get warm days, the water cools, but it's been so warm that I don't think it's near where it normally is. Normally, wouldn't you probably see it mid to low 60s? What are you seeing it now? Uh, right now, it's still in the 70s, uh, Terry. We had uh, four days of 90, well, four days of record high temperatures down here this last week. So uh, it's real promising for next week. We're supposed to get some, you know, some 70 and some, you know, high 60 degree days, which will, our nights will be even cooler. So that'll start that water cooling down a lot. And that's what we really need. We need a good cool down to get those fish really active. And, you know, and unlike in the spring, uh, a good cold front this time of the year almost activates the fish rather than shuts them down. They start thinking about winter, the water starts cooling, and, and then with those water receding, they're going to start to move away from the bank a little bit. Now, the bass are doing really well, I understand, the largemouth and smallmouth as far as the health of the population, and the walleyes too, and we didn't mention the walleyes. The walleyes are actually, they're going to f- chase those when those shad school up. I wrote an article for In Fisherman in the 90s, in fact, it's in the critical concept books on walleye fishing, about spooning for those uh, through those tight schools of shad uh, for the walleyes. But while you do, when you're doing that, you catch a lot of smallmouth, you catch crappies, and you can catch just huge catfish. In fact, the state record blue catfish was caught a couple of years ago by Charlie Black doing just that. And so I don't see the largemouth quite go after the deep, big schools as much. Do you? 
No, uh, you know, and Terry, we've had a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of Eurasian water milfoil in the lake now, and that's really changed the fishery out there. You know, all those baby bluegill and shad, they have so so much area that, to hide in now, and, uh, you know, and it's just, it's really increased the fishery. You know, I know it's a bad thing, but we've never had that in Pueblo, and, and we're starting to see a lot of it now, and, and the fishery is really... Uh, turn it around. I think that has a lot to do with it. Oh, it, it provides great habitat, especially for the largemouth, because they love to ambush shad out of those and eat the bluegills, like you said. So if you were going out right now, we know it's going to just get better and better. You might have to scratch a little bit. If you were going to fish Pueblo in the next couple of days, how would you approach it? Well, first thing I would do, first thing in the morning is just throw top water. Throw a, a, a shad imitator, a papar, uh, maybe a little Zara puppy, uh, something something in that three-inch range, which, you know, most of the shad right now, the, the bigger shad that are focused on about that three-inch range, uh, something shad color, anything with a, a white bottom um, would be really good. Once the sun starts coming up, if it's windy, you know, turn over to a spinnerbait or maybe even a, a chatterbait. And uh, and then when the, when the sun gets a little higher and, and the bite stops, then I would just start dragging the twin-tail grub green pumpkin grub. And that's, you know, basically I'm just telling you what I'm going to do in two weeks for a tournament down there that I have. Um, so it's, it's pretty much how I catch them this time of year. And, and, you know, if, and the wind will decide what I do, you know, because a lot of times if the wind's really blowing hard, uh, up against the banks, I'll, I'll burn a spinnerbait or a chatterbait in, in the wind. I'm not much of a crankbait fisherman. I know it's really, really good, but, uh, that's probably one of my faults, but, uh, you know, I like to catch them on other things. Yeah, I was spinnerbait fishing up at Boyd. In fact, people can see the results on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And Ronnie Castiglione and I caught about six or eight really nice largemouth. Not giants, but for the front range, they were nice fish on spinnerbaits. As the water there is receding and coming out of that grass, and the clumps of grass are holding fish and running spinnerbaits by that. You know, I haven't fished Pueblo much since the weed growth. Do you do much, uh, you know, pitching of plastic worms and jigs when, when they're in that area? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Terry, we had uh, a few weeks ago we fished, and we caught probably just out of one, you know, milfoil patch. It was probably only 20 yards long by 10 yards wide. You know, we pulled six out of there, um, you know, in a big catfish. And uh, so they're relating to that, and they're they're up in there. There's the, You can see the shad blowing up through the milfoil, and uh, the fish are really active through there. So it, it's, a, it's a good thing to, to look for. If you're seeing it, um, the water is dropping, so you'll see a lot more patches of it now. Um, but it, it, the fish are relating to it. It's unbelievable. That's one of my favorite ways to fish. In fact, I love taking like a 7-inch plastic worm and throwing it right to the weed edge or popping it in some holes. Even where somebody else might throw a jig, I love that 6-inch, just a blue fleck worm and drop it in those p- holes. And they just can't seem to resist it. Now, you can't cover a lot of water doing that, and if you're if they're not there, you can spend a lot of time fishing for no fish, but it's just a fun way to fish, I think. Let's switch gears a little bit, Sam. What about some of the other southeastern reservoirs like John Martin? What are you hearing? Uh, John Martin, uh, the Colorado Springs Bassmasters had a tournament down there last week, and uh, the first day leading the tournament in five fish was 15 pounds. Uh, big fish of the tournament was right about four, eight, so you're looking at one pretty close to five pounds, and I think it was over 24 pounds to win the tournament. So, um, And that's a two-day event, and, I mean, 12, 12 pounds a day was pretty average. And from what I've heard down there that, uh, you know, it's not pressured. Uh, you're still catching tons of white bass. Um, so if you're throwing topwater and, 
Uh, you don't know what you're going to get, whether it be a largemouth, smallmouth, or a white bass. But, you know, most of the fish that they're catching on topwater schooling are the white bass. That population's really exploded down there. Yeah, one of the one of the biologists down there was on a few weeks ago, and he said, uh, if you just want to catch some fish or take a kid fishing, or I love to do it because they're great table fare, too. He said, you, if you can't. You, if you can't catch white bass at John Martin right now, you shouldn't fish. He said <laughs> pretty much is what he said. He said it's just amazing. Now, we all know that things can turn off and get tough, and we've all had those days where we go out cocky and self-confident and get, get schooled. But the white bass are exploding down there. And, you know, there's always been a decent largemouth bass population, but I think when the water was so low, they weren't getting off the spawn as well. And just like... Um, Pueblo, with the high water years we've had and them buying some water, that largemouth population, there's some great uh, habitats, some great structures, some great cover in that lake. I've done really well for some almost giant largemouth down there at times. And the sawguy population is getting back up to in the mid-20-inch range. There's a lot of fish. So there's just, it's just, a, it's, you're right, it doesn't get a lot of pressure because it's a bit of a drive, but it's... Um, it's worth it if you just want to go spend a day or two days. You know, how far is how long does it take from get from Pueblo to John Martin? Well, from here it's only about an hour and a half. So yeah. you're looking at about two and a half hour drive from Denver. Yeah, and, and you know, two and a half hours from Denver. Uh, a lot of people do want to make that drive one day so they want to stay. There aren't there are some accommodations out in that area, but there aren't a ton. But even staying in Pueblo and driving out isn't that bad. Or you could Make your choice. Look at the weather. Either go east to John Martin or go west to Pueblo. And it's just or a down to Trinidad. Oh, Trinidad. Trinidad's a. Have you fished Trinidad much lately? Oh yeah, uh, Trinidad is really on fire, and you know the lake is is dropping really low right now. You know, and anybody that fishes Trinidad, it's a great time to go out and you know mark on your graph all the humps and stuff that you're fishing when hot water's high, and wonder why all those fish are there. So. There's there's a lot of ton of humps out there, but a lot of them have boulders and rocks, and some of them are just plain, and you see why the fish concentrate. So I've been down there just on my graph and just graphing everything and, and you know, waypointing a lot of spots. But the smallmouth fishery at Trinidad is just incredible right now. And, uh, you know, there's guys catching walleyes, and they're catching them from the bank, too. They're not great big or anything like that, but there's several of them. Um, it's, a, it's a really good fishery, and, and Terry, like I said, we went down on – fourth of july and there was three boats so um it's just one of those you know one of those things it's just not a pressured fishery and i think that's what makes it better yeah i used to fish trinidad quite a bit in fact they did a couple of television shows down there years ago and i since i've moved from denver to fort collins i haven't really gone back to trinidad i think once or twice only because it is a little bit longer drive for me but it is a tremendous tremendous fishery and there are accommodations right in the town of trinidad you can stay and you're right there and it's it's a it's a great great fishery and a great lake and it, you're right it just gets underfished the catfish there are fantastic too Sam I got to let you go but if you would you could only fish one place tomorrow where would you go Well I'm a 12 minutes from the North Shore Marina so I'll be at Pueblo All right <laughs> Thank you my friend as always great information great talking to you You too Terry have a great day sir thank you You, you bet Sam Heckman just a tremendous resource you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Sandy Clef here to tell you about SCL Mortgage Special Circumstance Lending, locally owned and operated. And if you're self-employed or work on commission, this is the place for you. Bank statement loans are back. You don't need tax returns to do your loan. In some cases, the bank statement loans can be done with credit scores in the low 600s. MySpecialMortgage.com. 
on the web, 303-790-2222, the phone number, STL Mortgage, licensed by the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies, number 1200716. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones. We're joined by Pat Tucker from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, Terry. You know, what a beautiful day out. I don't know where you're calling me from, if you're in the metro area here or if you're down somewhere else, but it's beautiful. But uh... it's I, I'm calling from out by uh, Glenwood Springs, and it's a gorgeous day on the west slope, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed the uh, fishing discussion, and southern Colorado certainly has some good fishing this time of year. Oh, and, you know, John Martin, some of those lakes have come back, and they are so good, and they don't get pressured, and if you get down there, it's just oh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. We're going to talk more about fishing as we get into the, uh, into the rest of the program, but we're going to change things up right now. You know, Pat, one of the... Um, Colorado is blessed that we do have a lot of public land, both state-owned and federal-owned lands, and we have tremendous opportunities for big game. We have elk and mule deer and white-tailed deer, and we have the sheep and the goats, and we have mountain lion and bears. We just have tremendous amounts of big game animals in Colorado, moose. Uh, but in order for them to survive, as much as managing the public habitat is good for these animals, and it, it's probably your biggest tool other than license issuing, uh, these animals need to spend some time on private land. And you were telling me that in order to maintain the herd size and the capacity, it used to cause some pretty good issues, but you've kind of got some programs working that can really help that. Give us a little history and tell us what's going on. Well, thanks. The, uh, historically, um, the, the former Division of Wildlife and current Parks and Wildlife has always respected private landowners and uh, the contributions they make to habitat and big game. Most folks know that wildlife spends a great deal of their time on private property, um, and a lot of it's in the wintertime. Sometimes they cause some issues that we can't solve, at least we can't solve very easily to our to our friends and the private landowners. And so rather than trying to remain a contentious source of uh, problems, almost 30 years ago, we came up with, along with their help, um, a program that we call the Habitat Partnership Program. And rather than trying to be confrontational, we take an approach where how can we help private landowners uh, increase their tolerances by reducing the problems that these animals are causing them. And that way, everybody wins. They get some benefits from it. We're actually able to have the size of the big game herds that we do because we're successful in addressing their problems. And we're pretty proud of it. For almost 30 years, it's been a real success story for the agency and for landowners and ultimately for wildlife and sportsmen. Yeah, and it really is. And you're right that, you know, um, we have to manage the herds in Colorado based on what the habitat will maintain and without as much with as little interaction and damage to private property as possible. And as, and as housing and things get built up, it's infringed some of the habitat. And of course, there's ranchers and farmers are the ones that get the, the biggest impact. So what do you do to help mitigate this? Do you improve the existing habitat? Do you help them put sections of habitat that you pay them for on their property, fences? Just kind of take us through what you can do with the farmers and ranchers. Well, we do it all. Our program is set up to be very 
flexible in terms of what we do and where we do it. So you'll first of all, you'll see us working on both private land as well as public land. And so sportsmen are contributing to improving public land, which is a benefit to everybody. But typically in the, in the first days of the program, the real issues were fence problems and forage problems, um, animals on hay fields, animals breaking fences, the rules we had in place back then really didn't help address how do we get some relief and some help for those problems. And so we've come up with a way where we, we help them with materials for some fencing, uh, and they're more than happy to use those materials as needed. We've come up with some new techniques with fencing that we'd like to fix the fence once and not have to fix the same section each year. So we've come up with some new techniques with wildlife-friendly fencing and uh, a white high-visibility wire on the top. We, uh, we also deal a lot with, uh, and we've really moved strongly into this, the habitat part of the, pro the program, um, trying to improve the habitat, increase the quantity as well as the quality of the habitat. We do a lot of that on public lands, and that not only brings sportsmen's benefits, but ultimately we're trying to uh, hold more big game animals longer on public lands before they move on to the private lands. It's a tough, that's a tough uh, challenge to convince the animals to stay there a little bit longer, but we're pretty much one of the main habitat improvement programs that CPW operates right now, and we do it on both public and private lands. Well, and you know, another benefit, anytime we improve habitat, whether we're doing it thinking of elk and deer or any other animal, habitat improvement benefits all the outdoors. It, it benefits the wildlife watchers because other animals it always benefit from that improved ha habitat. You get more small game. You get you get more birds, and you get just more life in the area. And it benefits hunters. It benefits wildlife watchers and birders. And by keeping them in that habitat, you benefit the farmers. Uh, uh, to date, how have the farmers accepted this? Has it been a real success? Are they happy? Unequivocally, yes. Um, we've provided a way to be fast, responsive. Uh, it's done locally through our committees um, and they, they can pretty much get a quick resolution to their program or to the problems. And it's a partnership so that we provide a little bit. And of course, like most CPW programs, we're funded by mostly by sportsmen's dollars and HPP is no different, um, but it's a partnership. And so everybody kicks in a little bit, some time, some money, some labor, some equipment. And uh, we, uh, we, we get, we get it done that way. And, just having a chance locally for people to have a sounding board from a local committee that has the authority to help them um, has paid dividends. And one, of course, one of the main things that we've had is we have a dialogue now with landowners, with ranchers, with sportsmen, with federal agencies all sitting around the same table that didn't necessarily happen and it didn't necessarily happen as successfully as it does now. And so that we're really proud that we have a really good program that helps the relationships and helps the dialogue. I did want to go back real quick because you're right. We, uh, the habitat improvement, you know, we focus on the big game component, but boy, we, uh, we do a lot. And one of the main habitat things we do is we do a lot of water developments and boy, really critical after a year like this. And anytime you can introduce water out there, your songbirds like it, your small game likes it, you get more animals spread out into a different area and uh, all those sorts of things. So our habitat improvements are benefiting a lot of the wildlife species that that, that we have in Colorado. Well, and I think there's, uh, I want to go back to what you said too, that it's funded by mostly license fees, which are hunting license fees. And 
I think it's, it should be reassuring to the sportsmen to know that their money is going for projects like this. Because what it's going to do, it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow you when, you, when they set limits, you, know, you have targets for the herds in Colorado. If you know there's more habitat and you can control them, you can have a larger target number of animals that can be maintained, which in the long run benefits the hunters. So you get that aspect of it. And then you also get just the improvement of the quality of the herds and the quality of the places you hunt, and you get happy landowners. And sometimes a happy landowner, if he's approached properly, might let you hunt on his property too. So there's just a lot of benefits. There, there, there truly is, and you, you're certainly right on both counts. Um, sportsmen benefit, although they have to look past the immediate, did I draw a license uh, question, and understand that there would be a lot fewer deer and elk uh, in Colorado if we didn't have programs like this that helps deal with these sorts of problems. And so just the fact that their opportunities or their their chances for a license have increased just because of this, we're able to have more animals out there um, is, is really, really valuable. And then, uh, and then so we're, we're just, it's not evident, but it's a real strong point of the program for sportsmen. And of course they do fund it. Um, we get, their license money helps go to the program. That's what they, that's what CPW brings to the table. All right. We're out of time, Pat, but great information. Great program. I wasn't even I mean, I knew you guys did this kind of work, but I wasn't aware of this particular program. Thanks for joining us today and sharing. Uh, appreciate it. And we're on our website if people have more questions or want to learn more about it. So thank you. All right. Thank you. That's Pat Tucker from uh, CPW. And it's the um, HPP program, Habitat um, partnership program. Go take a look at that on the website. It's a great, great program. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones where we are joined from uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife by uh, Travis Duncan. Good morning, Travis. Hey, morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a beautiful day. You know, if you can't be in the outdoors, let's at least talk about it. And you know, one of the reasons we have the great outdoor opportunities we have in Colorado is because something called the North American model and how we manage our resources. And to kind of celebrate that, there's a day coming up, I believe, next weekend. It's National Hunting and Fishing Day. Is that right? It, it's actually today, Terry. Yeah, today. Oh, it's today. Twenty second is is National Hunting and okay. Fishing Day. Yeah. Wow. Well, then we better really celebrate hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and the um, National Hunting and Fishing. I'm. It's just something that hunting and fishing have been part of the heritage of this country since it was formed, and there's still a great number of people that get out and enjoy those type of activities, aren't there? Yeah, there definitely are, um, and and I think it's important on on uh, National Hunting and Fishing Day to point out um, just how, how much they contribute to, to, you know, our natural resources in Colorado, uh, how much they've contributed historically and, and how important um, they've been um, to, to everyone in Colorado, to, to the things that make Colorado, Colorado, you know, the fact that you can go out and see the kind of wildlife you can in Colorado is all due to, to our hunters and fishers or in large part due to them. You know, let's explain to people the North American model. You hear people in the industry talk about it. The average guy in the street probably doesn't even know that exists. But the North American model for hunting, fishing, and conservation is really built around using license fees to maintain habitat and opportunities, right? Yeah, it it kind of, well, you know, it kind of is built on that. That North American model started 
Um, you know, in the 1860s, when sportsmen were looking around in this country and saw that a lot of the natural resources were being depleted, um, and they wanted to find a way, uh, you know, to keep to keep those natural resources. So um, there's seven tenets in the North American model. Um, you can look them up, but you know, some of them are that wildlife is a public trust, that it's something that everyone should enjoy, and it's something that they should be managed by science to um, exist forever in perpetuity. So um, that's that's kind of the basis of the North American model is that is that the wildlife and and the natural resources belong to us, belong to the public. Um, and, they're, and they're protected through through science, um, so that and and hunting and fishing is a is a right for everyone, um, and so we, that's that's kind of the basis of a lot of what Colorado Parks and Wildlife does. Well, and and the North American model, and I, I'm glad you brought up that about conserving the resources because you know we get all these green movements and things, and I always tell anybody who's a resource conservationist, welcome aboard because as hunters and fishermen, we've been working to preserve the resources forever because we want it in perpetuity not only for us to enjoy but for our children and our grandchildren so it's always been a main emphasis but the funding what most people don't realize and you know if you look at Colorado you have hunting license fishing license there's also a huge part of our economy that's wildlife watchers and bird watchers and people that just like to go on hikes in the outdoors a lot of those people are getting to take advantage of license fees that are bought by the hunters and fishermen because that's typically the funding mechanism, right? That's true. A lot of a lot of funding for for wildlife comes comes from those hunters and fishers. Um, so you know, for instance, some of the a lot of the conservation work that Colorado Parks and Wildlife is able to do comes because of of hunting and fishing licenses. So for instance, um, the reintroduction um, of the and monitoring of the black-footed ferrets on our eastern plains, or the reintroduction of the greenback cutthroat cut trout or native fish, all those things happen, you know, because of of hunting and fishing licenses. And, of course, there's excise taxes and things, a couple different forms that hunters and fishermen pay on gear, too. It isn't just their licenses that go back. I used to be on some of the committees that would award, like, outboard motor gas grants to improvement of lakes. And there's a lot of programs like that that, you know, people aren't even aware that every time they buy sporting goods for hunting and fishing, part of that money almost always goes back into um, funds that help maintain our hunting and fishing, and it has an incredible effect on our economy. I think it's the if you add hunting, fishing, and wildlife watching together, the impact on Colorado's economy is billions of dollars—not millions, but billions. It's actually bigger than the ski industry. Yep, it's been compared to the ski industry. Uh, some folks even say bigger than the ski industry. Um, the numbers out there, are, yeah, in the in the multiple billions of dollars for the amount it contributes to Colorado's economy. Um, you mentioned the the buying of gear. Uh, that's definitely another another thing that contributes. Um, folks can look up the Pittman Robertson Act, which um, provides um, states with wildlife management funding through excise tax on firearms and ammunition. And there's also the Dingle Johnson Act, uh, which provides uh, state fish restoration funding through excise tax on sport fishing equipment. So both of those are funding mechanisms as well that are funded through hunting and fishing. No, you're absolutely right. So the hunters and fishermen have taken on the uh, the burden of funding most of our conservation for our animals that everybody gets to enjoy. And and they still remain, though, a public resource that are available to everyone. But in addition to habitat and license fees to manage the size of herds and, and stocking animals and fish and trying to maintain that, you also do other things to get people excited about fishing. You even go right into the schools, don't you? We do. We do a lot of, a lot of outreach with our, 
with our um, with our soul program, with our education program to go into the schools, uh, get kids fishing, get them outdoors. Uh, we have a we're we're a participant in the natural uh, national archery in the schools program. So our CBW educators are fantastic at uh, teaching kids how how to safely um, shoot shoot um, bow and arrow in the school, and they they teach you know gym teachers and go in and get them certified to do it and. And help them get the equipment they need so that, um, you know, as part of kids' gym class, a, a section each year at a lot of different schools in Colorado, you know, is dedicated to, to learning how to shoot a bow and arrow, which, uh, you know, my daughter's done it and loves it. And, and kids just, just love it. And it's a way, um, you know, it, it encourages parents, too, to get outside with their kids and start learning some of those some of the skills. Well, we always say buy them a tackle box, not an Xbox, is one of our <laughs> sayings. And and in all honesty, I uh, people probably get a little tired of me harping on this, both here and on my newspaper columns, and and even on my TV shows that we're we're evangelistic about getting youth, getting people outdoors, but especially youth, because first of all, um, the numbers have been fairly static. As a percentage, they might even have gone down, but the numbers of hunting and fishing participants actually are on the rise. Fishing, especially, is on the rise over the last few years. But we we just when you get uh, a a family or friend uh a youth or a close relative or close friend out in the outdoors fishing hunting camping even just hiking the trails you create memories and bonding time that is unparalleled by any other activity you don't have to talk about what's going on in your life the conversations will just happen and you get away from all the trappings of life the american sports angling association several years ago did a survey of what these were adults over the age of 40, what their best memory from a child growing up was, 52% was an outdoor activity. The next biggest was a sporting event, and that was 12%. So it just shows you, sometimes even at the time, you don't realize the impact it's having, you know, Travis? Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in that too, Terry. I think as humans, we're we're meant to be outside. That's where we're going to create our best memories. That's where we we're going to function best just as people, you know, as outdoors. So whatever gets you out there, you know, and gets you out there with your family and friends is going to, is going to create, you know, those meaningful memories and those experiences that, that make it, make it, you know, the most fun to be, to be alive. So we definitely encourage folks to get outside in whatever way and whatever they, way they can. But I, I like your saying of tackle box, not an Xbox, uh, because yeah, just getting outside with your family and your friends is the way you're going to, fully realize, you know, what it means to, to be alive. Well, and another thing you mentioned, we mentioned the youth, but a fast-growing segment of the outdoor community is women, too, isn't it? It is. Um, women and children are, are one of those, one of our biggest growing segments that are getting getting into hunting, getting into fishing. Um, we, we've got, um, like, CBW has a Women at Field program where we introduce folks who might not ever have been out hunting, um, how, to, how to get involved, how to start. You can go to CPW's website and, and check out our Women in Field program and our Novice Hunter program. And if you've never done it before and you're interested, you know, you can go and, um, you know, get some hands-on experience, get some guidance from, from, from our experienced staff on how to get started. I'm going to let the, uh, this is kind of a pre-announcement. ISE isn't going to be here till January, so it's a few months away. But we're going to be doing theme at the – my wife Karen and I host the uh, the demo aquarium tank where the people do the presentations. And mm-hmm. on Sunday, we're going to have what's called a family day. It's going to be aimed at getting kids started fishing and women who want to start fishing. We're going to have speakers that for that day that will be keying in on those topics. 
and we're going to have an experts table that's going to be manned by one of the junior bass clubs that are going to be teaching, you know, how to tie knots, how to rig basic lures and things like that. So Sunday at ISC, if you're planning on coming to ISC and you're a new, especially a family member or a new beginner or a, a youth especially, we want to get, you know, women and families and youth, we're going to aim that day at helping those people get started. And we'll keep reminding them of that. Last comment before we let you go, Travis. Um, well, I, I appreciate you having me on the show, Terry. Um, I, I also could point out that today is also National Public Lands Day. Um, so, you know, that you, that uh, means that for national parks, you can get in today free of charge. Um, not Colorado State Parks today. It's a good reminder for folks. But but I appreciate you having me on the show, and I appreciate getting to talk about how valuable hunters and fishers are to, to Colorado. Oh, they mean so much to the state, even to the people that don't hunt fish. They get to enjoy. We have so much public land and the habitat, so much of that is maintained by license fees. Travis, thank you so much for all that information. Definitely. Thank you, Terry. Travis, uh, Travis Duncan from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk quite a bit of fishing, but we're going to throw some hunting and shooting in there, too. We're going to talk some waterfall. We're going to get an update on the Ryan Fire up by the Wyoming border and if it's affecting any of the outdoor activities around North Park. And we'll get an update on fishing and hunting conditions on North Park, too. So we got a lot coming up. Of course, Nate Zielinski will join us in just a few minutes, and I think he wants to talk the fall transition fishing, and he always throws a little bit of big game in there. You know, a lot of times you'd know what we're what's coming up on the show. Of course, if you listen the week before, we try to highlight it. But a lot of times we put something on our Facebook page, the best of uh, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. I'm sorry, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And there's other reasons you want to be on that Facebook page. Uh, we run a lot of contests off that page. And I, in fact, I got a feeling that in the next couple of weeks, Karen's going to sneak in one of the 20-year tidbits of trivia for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, where the radio show's been on for 20 years now. And she's taking little bits of uh, things from the past, putting them on the Facebook page. And then I ask a question on the air, and whoever the first one to give the answer is, um, gets like almost a $100 gift certificate from Honey Mo- Smoked Salmon. I got a feeling in the next couple of weeks we'll be doing one of those. So you want to be following and liking Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Also, if you went there, you heard me talking that we're going to be... Um, we're going to be talking about the conditions in North Park. I just recently wrote a, my column in the Denver Post on the duck hunting in North Park. It was in the paper yesterday, but it was also online yesterday. So if you go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, there's a link. And that link is actually the best way to read my column because some of the other formats you can get it in don't always have links to, like, if there's an area of, of information you can go to. There's always a podcast attached to an interview we did on the show. So by going to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, you could click on my North Park duck hunting article and then get an interview with a biologist or a, a, a game manager from up there right along with it. And if you scroll down a ways on my Facebook page, I did a general waterfall hunting in Colorado a few weeks ago that's still available. Also, whenever Karen adds a new um, a new program to the uh, a new TV program to our YouTube channel, she posts a link on Facebook, and we've got over 100 shows up there on your YouTube channel, which is The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, and she just added one. She'll be, she's adding one with uh, Chad Chance. She'll be posting that on Facebook pretty soon, and she, she posts these on Facebook, 
So you can link right to our channel and go watch the shows. And, you know, and, and it's kind of fun. Go back and relive. But we try to make them still meaningful. So when you go to The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there's still good information on those television shows. And uh, speaking of duck hunting, uh, we Brad Peterson's going to join us in the second hour. And he's going to talk both some... He's going to talk both some fishing and some hunting, and I, I, it's my understanding that Brad is going to be um, guiding for duck hunting this year. He's a fishing guide, and he's a, uh, he's a, he'll be guiding some duck hunting. Great waterfowler. Brad will join us. Is a, he's he's um, hosted some champion calling contests. He's an avid water, waterfall hunter. In fact, one of our sponsors and good partners, A and A Toppers, Darren Lindsay, goes fishing with Brad. Quite he goes fishing, but he goes hunting, uh, waterfall hunting, especially with uh, with Brad quite a bit. So we'll be covering that in the next hour. But I think um, when we we're going to take a break, and then Nate Slinsky is going to join us almost immediately. But go to the Facebook page. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, and, and you'll, you're going to start seeing contest entries. You're going to see upcoming events. You'll see interviews with people like Al Linder and uh, Steve Panaz are on there. And scroll down. Just kind of look at the kind of stuff we post there. All right, we'll take a time out. Uh, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.